Hey family, welcome to We All Need Each Other, the podcast from Transformation Ministries. Hey, welcome. We're so excited. Today's a good day and we have an awesome guest on the podcast today. She is not only my friend, but we've done, um, she's been involved in Transformation Ministries and she's my sister-in-law. So I'm super excited to welcome Kaylin Lance. Thanks for being here, Kaylin. So good to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, hey, I could give you an awesome introduction because I know you pretty well, but why don't you, for those of you who don't know you, just quick introduce yourself and talk about how you are connected to Transformation Ministries. Yeah, I'd prefer for your introduction, but here we go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so obviously, yeah, I am a trauma counselor, live in the Chicago area, Um, just moved up here about four and a half months ago. And so prior to that, I was elbow deep in transformation life and community um, and loving that so much. So obviously Corey is my brother. And so I was living in South Bend for the seven years prior to this, um, prior to moving up to Chicago. So yeah, my background a little bit, I um, have worked as a counselor for about eight years now. Um, I worked in residential settings with teenagers. Um, I have spent the majority of my time working at a community mental health center in South Bend doing counseling, um, as well as some different roles there. Um, And then, yeah, I am in Chicago now working at a counseling center that that specializes in, in trauma. So through all those different experiences, I've gotten a lot of just kind of hands-on experience in the world of trauma, and it has significantly shaped me and my faith and just how I engage with people, not just in the counseling office, but across all relationships. So, And one thing I love is you haven't just done this in the United States, like you've traveled overseas and you've taken a lot of this trauma curriculum and just stuff you've learned to how many different countries have you been training? Uh, probably, or, I don't know, six or seven different yeah. countries. Um, yeah. And so I've done some work with the American Bible Society has a trauma healing institute and the hope is to empower lay people and pastors in areas of the world where there's high rates of trauma and low access to mental health care um, to just have the basic kind of tools to help people who experience significant trauma. And so been in Central America, Africa, Middle East to do some of that work. That's what I love. I love that it translates because mm-hmm. trauma is something that isn't just like it's human. It's a human thing that we've experienced. So tell that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and I love that I've gotten kind of a front row seat to some of this stuff. So can you give us kind of your why? Like, why are you passionate about counseling and about especially trauma? But like, what kind of keeps you going when the going gets tough? And yeah, like, what's your What's your why behind this? Where are you passionate about it? Yeah, I think from a young age, I like just there's been a deep longing in me for wholeness. Um, and so 
I think as I've encountered harm and brokenness in the world, um, there's also a big justice part of me that's like, this isn't right. Um, and so I've kind of been drawn to what what's going on here and how do we how do we participate with Jesus in this this call to like restore mm-hmm. um, and through that yeah so I and I think like Isaiah 61 has always been something that stood out to me mm-hmm. um of uh, Jesus coming to um, restore sight to the blind and set the prisoner free and and uh, heat beauty instead of ashes and so Mm-hmm. That is something I've always been drawn to. I um, in in Jesus, just that, just the picture of a God who's willing to come into the trauma of the world He created for wholeness. Yeah. Um, and so, honestly, as I've worked, so th- that's what drew me. But as I've worked more with trauma, I am more like the gospel makes a lot more sense um, cool. to me of. The, how cool it is and how compelling it is that we have a, a God who like enters into the mess and and doesn't just fix it all but like is with people in it um, yeah. so that that's kind of the why uh, and through that recognizing I've got my own stuff I've got my own story I think I initially read Isaiah 61 it was like this is what I have to do for the world um, that's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> But right. recognizing, like, actually, that's for me. Like, I'm a prisoner. I, I need healing as well. Um, and that has probably, I mean, that's been part of my journey, I think, through transformation. I've experienced that healing through those relationships, through showing up real and with my own stuff. And so it's a both and there. Which is so true because... I think a lot of times, yeah, we, we come to the table and we're like, okay, I'm here to help this other person. And what are the tools I need to help them? But that's where, that's a big miss, right? If we realize we have to recognize we've all experienced trauma and we're bringing our own triggers and our own things to the table. And if we don't realize that we're going to do probably more harm than good. So we can get into some of that later, but that's really get into that. Really good. Um, yeah, and to Dan and Aaron, I mean, you jump in whenever you have anything. But sure, could could we take a step back for a second? I would love to. We throw the word trauma around, and I don't know if that may mean different things to different people. So, Kaylin, I'd love to kind of hear from your perspective of like, what are we talking about when we say the word trauma? Good. Yeah, this is so. In the trainings that I do, I love to throw this question out because I was just talking to someone the other day, and they're like, "So you work with like military veterans?" Um, and that's often what, where people first go, like that's kind of the, in the trajectory or the kind of development of people using the word trauma. That's the first thought when, when I'm talking about trauma, I'm talking primarily like a general definition is like an experience that causes extreme stress and overwhelms the person's capacity to cope with it. Okay. Um, And so that's like a basic trauma definition of an experience, but it's less about the experience and more about like the reaction to the impact of the experience. Cause people could have a lot of different experiences and it could impact people differently. And a lot of that depends on kind of the, the care people receive around that experience. Um, But I'm also talking not just about 
in a, a, a one-time event. I think people often think of that. They think of like uh, a natural disaster, a car accident, war, something like that. Um, but the type of trauma that, that I think connects most with the work of transformation and that I am more um, immersed in is, is more of a complex trauma, uh, more of a developmental trauma of kind of living life in a constant state of stress and survival mode. And so kids growing up where there's a lot of abuse or neglect or community violence, domestic violence, homelessness. Um, and really it's, it's kind of this, this chronic exposure to an unsafe environment, both physically, but that this felt sense of not being safe. Um, often like at the hands of interpersonal pain, right? So we talk about attachment. We talk about like a kid growing up in a space where there's not an adult who's attuned to their needs, both emotionally and physically, um, or an adult just responding, helping them make sense of the world around them and what's happening. That's really, that's yeah. helpful because I think sometimes we get in our own, like, okay, I've ex like I've experienced trauma and you've experienced trauma. How's our trauma different? That really helps to frame, okay, yeah, I might've experienced certain traumas in my life, but living in the constant state and the survival of it on a daily basis is different and it is de developmental. And so that's helpful to kind of do the difference, get the differences. Cause yeah. yeah. And I think, so oftentimes people compare trauma too. They're like, Oh, my trauma is worse than yours or yours is worse than mine. So mine's not worth like even looking at. And that game really just is not helpful for anyone. Um, and so I think what we'll talk more about is what does it look like to be curious about our own stories and the stories of harm that that we carry and also to be curious about the stories that other people are bringing to the table in our interactions um, and how those might be coming into play in just day-to-day -day interactions yeah. because the reality is trauma impacts our nervous system like the same regardless of it if it's your like really big trauma or my really small trauma, right? There's yeah. similar impacts to the nervous system. Now, when we're talking about the developmental complex trauma, that is just that combat, like Alice, that constant state of survival mode that has a pretty significant impact in development. Yeah. So let's talk about that because I'm curious how it does kind of affect, I've heard you talk about how it affects our brain. You just mentioned how it attacks affects our nervous system, our interpersonal skills, our development. And, you know, we're coming at the context. I love that this podcast can be for anyone, right? Like my brother's a school teacher and I know he's going to love to listen to this because he's working with middle school kids or even a parent or a foster parent that's dealing with um, kids that, you know, have experienced this or a lot of our mentors, you know, at Transformation that. And so I would love to just give the, like, have you kind of help us see maybe behind the curtain of like the inside of how is some of this stuff affecting them so that we can be curious so that we can kind of not just be frustrated at their behaviors or so to speak. So yeah. How does it affect? So I like to start with what I call the principles of well-being, um, And so, and that's this like general idea of like, we're created for this, this space of wholeness. We're created for goodness. We're created for connection in relationship. Um, and, and this is kind of an idealized like place to start, but I recognize like some people don't have the privilege to even start here. 
But as we look at well-being, we we look at three things. Um, just kind of the general idea that the world makes sense, that justice is available if I'm harmed, and that I am a person of value. Okay, so in a general sense of well-being, those three things are intact. When we look at kind of how trauma impacts that, um, it it kind of shatters those things. Okay. And so the world no longer makes sense. We have to kind of develop a story to, to try to make sense of the world um, once we've experienced trauma and harm um, because it's not what we're meant for, right? Um, justice is often not available. There's a lot of powerlessness that comes with trauma, right? And so um, we kind of learn, we operate in the world after trauma of like, okay, there's no justice. I've got to find it for myself. Like it's up to me to make things right. Um, and then I'm not a person of value. Like the way we make sense of the world is often it, it cuts at that, that sense of worth and value that we hold. Um, and so if I don't have value, you probably don't have value either. And so how I engage with you kind of is, is impacted as well. And so out of this kind of new kind of lens, we don't trust others. We don't trust ourselves. We don't really care about how we treat ourselves. Um, and we're, we're then like grasping to, to try to make sense of this broken world around us. Now, we can see that play out in a lot of different ways. Um, I'm fascinated lately about how like organized religion, Christianity sometimes can, can develop answers to these questions to help us not feel these things. Um, and, and sometimes they're really, they're true, right? But also used to like put a bandaid on a wound of trauma rather than allow true healing to happen. Yeah, but the way we can often see this playing out with some of our ISI kiddos um, is, is just a, a lot of anxiety um, that might come out as like anger, right? We're trying to keep others away from us, a lot of sadness and depression, um, general sense of things feeling out of control. The world makes sense and like, I can't trust justice to happen for me, then things are out of control. And I just wanna name like our black and brown brothers and sisters kind of are born into a world in the United States where like the world doesn't always make sense for them because it's not built for them. Um, and justice is not available to them as it is in the same ways it is to, to white bodied folks. Um, and their value is constantly in question in our society. And so I just want to name that, like, we can talk about these principles of well-being, but even when we're born um, in utero, right, we're, they play out differently. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. So as far as like other maybe emotional effects of trauma, people like a lot of irritability, trying not to feel um, a lot of like physical effects in the sense of like headaches, stomach aches, um, maybe like chronic, chronic stomach issues, yeah. uh, things like that. Some long-term health effects, greater like startle response, but also like if you ha constantly have well, stress hormone cortisol pumping through your body so that you're prepared 
to survive, then that's going to impact like how your body develops and exists in a world. If you're constantly in survival mode, your body's going to have trouble fighting off diseases because it's, it's, and digesting because when you're in that state, you're the, the non-essential organs shut down. Right. And so that plays out in a lot of different ways, um, but also impacts relationships. Like, and, and that's, I think one of the biggest areas that where healing comes, I think it's where a lot of the brokenness happens, but just a difficulty attaching with others, self-protective behavior, um, like kind of a push pull behavior because we long for it and it's scary. Right. Right. Um, like actually the healing that we need is so hard to open ourselves up to. You're right. Cause then that means trust. And that means those things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then behaviorally, Oh, go ahead, Dan. Well, I was just going to say, as I've listened to you talk about this before, the thing that always fascinates me the most, and you've touched on a little bit is what happens in the brain you know, we've talked about the survival mode. Um, but when you talk about the difference between like what your brain is doing in survival mode versus what it's doing in a, in a healthy, normal operating state, to me, that clears up so much of the way, the way trauma, uh, plays itself out in, in actions and, and things like that. So could you go just a little bit deeper on that? Yeah, for sure. So, Yeah, I like to, this is a really grossly simplified explanation of the brain, but that's helpful for me to make sense of it because I need the simple explanations. But um, I like to kind of think of the brain as a house with an upstairs and a downstairs. Um, And the downstairs brain is fully developed when we're born. Um, That's going to be in charge of like the body, uh, your, your basic functions of the body. So heart rate, breathing, all the things you're born being able to do um, cry, move, right. Allie, you know, you have a a newborn right now or not newborn, I guess he's almost a year, but anyways. Yeah. So those are the the things that you are able to do if you're born healthy, um, without having to think about it. Okay. And, um, reflexes kind of whatever you need to get your needs met. Right. And, And then we have an upstairs brain that continues to develop between the ages of like zero and 25 um, is what we would say that upstairs brain is, is growing and developing. It can can continue and continue to learn, but those are the primary, the primary stages. Okay. That upstairs brain is in charge of um, thought, sorry. (laughs) Um, That upstairs brain is, um, in charge of logic, language, putting words to things, um, reasoning, problem solving, some like the flexibility of kind of being in and out of, of like, how do I want to navigate this situation? Um, interpreting body language, those kinds of things, um, creating a story kind of for what we're experiencing. So that is the upstairs brain is when when we're at our best, the whole brain is working together with our body, right? We are like fully integrated. Um, But we also have like the stairs between the upstairs and the downstairs brain, what I like to call the watchdog. Um, And it's actually called the amygdala. It's about the size of an almond. And the watchdog in your brain, the amygdala's job is to constantly scan the environment for danger, much like a watchdog in real life. 
so that it can alert your body to danger. And so that it, it kind of initiates the fight, flight, freeze response. Okay. And so the watchdog, when the watchdog senses danger, what it does is it shuts down communication between the upstairs and the downstairs brain. And it hijacks kind of all those bodily functions that we talked about, right? So when you're in danger, your heart rate increases, um, your breathing gets shallow and faster. And what that's doing is it's sending um, adrenaline and cortisol to your arms and legs so you can run faster, fight harder, shuts down digestion um, and non-essential function, organ functioning, right? So that you can survive, which is a really good thing. I use the example, if I'm standing in the middle of a road and a semi is coming at me, I don't want to stand there and think about what to do. Like, should I dive to the right or the left or can I, you know, I want to, my body to just kind of take over and react so that I can survive to dive out of the way. And it does because the, the watchdog kind of takes over. Okay. And, and so that's a really good thing when we're in danger, but watchdogs, much like dogs in real life, if they've experienced a lot of harm and a lack of safety, then they are going to be more reactive, more barking more quickly. And so what we've got sometimes, particularly kids with a lot of developmental trauma is their watchdog is constantly barking. Their upstairs brain is completely offline. Like, so they're not thinking, they're not honestly, like when we're in danger, it's hard for us to hear anything except what is associated to danger. Like our here, it's really cool how God created us to survive, right? It's hard to hear a human voice when we're that alert in survival mode. And it could be all kinds of things that trigger that in an environment, particularly environments where there's lots of people or in a classroom. Um, and so what's happening is that upstairs brain is not able to develop fully in the right ways unless the brain and the body are in the sense of like safety and not just physical safety, but like feeling safe. So my dog, it's a golden retriever, and she thinks she's a watchdog. You just heard her bark a little bit ago. She is, like, thinks she needs to protect me. She's got some anxiety. So when she's barking at the, the squirrel walking down the sidewalk, what I do is I, I calm her down. I talk to her. I pet her. I um, maybe pull her away from the window and, and distract her, right? I do all those things to kind of help her body calm down. And that's what kids need from the adults around them. They need, they need people to tend to that, to build some of those, those skills for regulation in, in relationship. That all happens in relationship. Um, the upstairs is built in relationship. The downstairs is calmed in relationship through mirroring, through a calm body. Um, and, and really not just telling a kid they're safe, but helping them feel safe. And I've seen this play out so many times, like even at the TC, when we're asking kids, hey, you know, can you, uh, even if it's like, hey, can you take that jacket off? Or can, hey, can you, can you pray for us? And they're just kind of, huh, or like, they're like pushed back or like their behavior on the outside. Um, I mean, there's a lot of examples I could give, but their behavior on the outside is kind of like pushing away or no, or shutting down or, but there's so many other things at play and I think that's so good because I think a lot of times we're quick to want to judge 
the behaviors that we're seeing. But like you said, when the watchdog is going off and they have, you know, you're like telling kids, hey, don't yell at that person or, or don't fight or don't, don't do this or don't have that quite a response or even like in real talks, don't fall asleep. It's like, well, we've kind of shifted at transformation at times to be like, man, if a kid feels safe enough to sleep, like in real talk, like usually our response as adults is like, that's so rude. Like, why would they fall asleep? We're trying to have a discussion. But we've kind of shifted a little bit to be like, they feel safe enough to get some rest. And um, that's a, that's a win maybe, you know, like maybe they're not sleeping at home. And so um, can you talk a little bit about as adults, like how we can kind of shift our mindset so that we're not quick to like judge that outward behavior since you kind of unpacked that for us, like Definitely. Or yeah, maybe sleeping. Yeah, the sleeping example is one of my favorites because that I think can often just grate at mentors and team leaders of like, oh, why why would you be sleeping mm-hmm. right now? Like, wake up, pay attention, right? Mm-hmm. And when often when we see those behaviors, it stirs in us like this. I'm gonna. I need to fix it. I need to do something about it. I need to calm it right? Or whatever, or alert. And oftentimes that's more about us than actually what's happening in the room. And so, yeah, I think one of the things that I think is really important is we see behavior that maybe causes a big reaction in us. The first thing I would say is be curious about your reaction Um, and why you're reacting the way you are. It's so easy for us to just go off on the kid or to to like put them in their place. And yet it's that's all about us and our discomfort and not really about what's happening with, with the kiddo in front of us. Right. Um, the other thing I would say is what, what would it look like to honor the behavior in front of us? Our kiddos have learned to survive. Mm-hmm. We all have learned to survive, right? All We've all developed strategies to kind of move through the world and a broken world and a harmful world. And so all of our stories of harm have shaped us in kind of how we engage. And so what might it look like to first come from a place of like honoring, like this is a survival behavior that has helped them survive. Right. And, um, and so what am I, how, like that, that posture of curiosity and of honor actually then changes how we're able to engage with compassion and empathy. right? Right. Um, and so so the question often that, that we talk about in, in trauma circles is, is changing from like, what's wrong with you to, to more of a posture of curiosity of what has happened that's led you to need to engage in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and rather than just try to remove those like survival behaviors, mm-hmm. let's, let's honor them and engage them and, and be curious about them. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it's important, particularly for like white body folk, white body mentors to be curious about what's happening in you and like what you're trying to move students to, mm-hmm. because I think oftentimes we're trying to move them to what makes us feel more comfortable 
in our white bodies based on a long history of maybe, dare I say, like white supremacist values. Right. That yeah. kind of bring it. That kind of have determined what is right and normal and good behavior in our culture. Yes. Um, and so that discomfort is actually what's trying to calm and change and and impact in a space and if we can get honest about that about what's happening in us then that really will change how we engage right because there's a difference between like if I'm a school teacher and I'm trying to manage my classroom and then I have a student that's being defiant obviously there's like, okay, I have to control this room. And now this person I'm at odds with because they're trying to assert their control, right? Because of all of their things they've got going on. Like you mentioned, they want to control because of their stuff. But um, you can see the difference between, okay, now the teacher and the student are at odds with each other and they're both fighting for control. But the difference is like, if I start to try to be curious and start to form a connection based on like, this student and caring for this student versus like my need and I know yes teachers we have to manage the room but like my need to um to like white knuckle like like because look what okay what's everyone thinking about me and what does this what does this mean for me and look like for me but if I can really hone in on this kid and what they're probably feeling chances are I'll probably start to connect with them mm. and then chances are the things will dissipate and we can form a connection versus just because you see it all the time, right? Then teacher starts getting like high, hotter and then hotter and hotter and kicking out and all this chaos erupts. And so, yeah, it's we, interesting so, how you said as a student. Yeah, what I often, the lens that I use with TBRI, I'll, I'll explain that later, but is willful disobedience. Like if we view behavior as willful disobedience, then we'll inevitably get in a power struggle and things will explode. Yes. If we view things as survival behavior, then we get to come with that perspective of curiosity and say, how do I help this child feel safe? Um, and it does take more work in, in the onset, right, to build those relationships. But if you've ever been in a classroom where the kids feel connected and safe with the teacher, there are going to be far more behaviors long term than there are in if we're constantly in the, in the power struggle battle. Right. And I've seen you do that because Kaylin, you've been a team leader for transformation for how many years, five years or so. And yeah, I've fine. seen you sit in real talks and I like, I've seen the girls that have formed those relationships with you over the years and call you Miss K and just feel so loved and comforted by you. And then I see the new ones come in and how you've handled that and how you have, you've been like, this is a safe place. Let me see you, let me, you know, and then they start to, oh, okay, I am safe here. I'm seen, I'm loved. I can let down. I can't like, it's, I've seen it happen. So what you're saying, I know can, you know, sometimes there's like, well, that's impossible to, but no, I've seen you do it. And I know that it can happen. So it's really, really, really. It's all about the culture we create. And I think transformation really seeks to create that culture where kids feel safe and, and there's space for them to let down. Um, and initially that, that let down might like, that's scary. Right. And, and right. there might be some pushback, but I think as kids continue to experience that consistently over time, they know what to expect. They know like the TC is their safe place. Their bodies change when they walk in the door. Yeah. Like you can, 
you can legitimately see their bodies change. And in no other places in the, in their lives are people like rushing to hug them. Right. Right. And, and that be okay. Right. Because there's been this, this culture that's created of like, Oh, like this is a place that I can feel safe. I can be connected and I can be more regulated. Right. I I don't want to hijack or derail the conversation. I'm going to go off script a little bit here, but I've been talking about like the students that we work with a lot, but I'm thinking about like something you said early on made me think about like, what's the trauma that I have. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be mostly adults that listen to this podcast. So what are some signs that we can be aware of that trauma is, is at play in our own lives? Like, how do we know? How do, how do I, how can I look at my reactions in certain situations and go, okay, I need, that's a, that's a a reaction based on some trauma in my life, or I can handle it better if I do this. Like, just, can you help us with that a little bit? Yeah. Go to counseling. (laughs) Um, Done. (laughs) No, I think, I think, can we get honest about ourselves and our stories and how we've been shaped um, and the, the ways we've learned to survive, mm-hmm. right? And, or, or coped. Um, so like my story, I've learned to survive through like pushing down any fear or anxiety in me and just going harder and loving harder and showing up harder and being strong, um, which looks really good and gets a lot of praise, but it has like, it's killed me. And it's actually kept me from truly connecting and truly having intimacy because I always have to be strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the words people will use when they describe me. And it's come to feel kind of like a, a curse word because I'm like, <laughs> But like, I actually get to be human. And that's like part of seeing Isaiah 61 as me being like actually a person that Jesus came to rescue as well. Um, And that has then allowed, as I begin to like say, why? Be curious. Like, why why do I have to feel the need to be strong? Or why why do I feel so out of control in this situation? Um, and, and really just, just sitting with that and reflecting on that. So creating some space, Mm -hmm. um, for me, a lot of that has like becoming, it has been becoming aware of what's happening in my body of like, Mm -hmm. oh, like I, I, I'm super tight and tense right now. Um, what is that about? Or I feel like I have a rock in my chest. What? I've come to realize that when I have a rock in my chest, it's usually because I feel powerless, but I feel responsible. Mm. And that's very connected to my story and some of my, the different experiences I've had in the realm of working with trauma. Right. And, and so once I'm aware of what's happening and my body's like, Hey, you're, you're freaking out, but I've learned to like shut that down as I've allowed that to come more alive. I, I, can say, okay, this might be more about me. How can I take a step back, take a deep breath, regulate myself so that I can actually show up for this kid and it not be all about my past and everything that's going on in me. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, Dan, at all. I I mean, I think there's a lot of work that can be done here, but 
that like curiosity and being honest about those things and not having to like be the right person all the time. Um, I mean, I've seen that. Yeah. I've seen that just even in parenting, you know, as a kid, as when my kid is throwing that tantrum, I just have all these emotions rising up in me of like, like, especially if it's in front of other people and things, but to, instead of to do whatever helps me, like to, I have to regulate myself before I can then approach my three-year-old in a calm manner and say, Hey, and actually be about her. Right. Because I want to be like, Hey, I'll give you candy if you just get in your car seat, <laughs> you know, cause I just want to like fix it and make myself look good and be done with the problem. But if I'm like, no, this is about her learning and growing in this moment, I'm going to get down on my knees, look her in the eyes. Cause you've even talked about with kids, like if we're physically like above them or, you know, but like getting down on their level, making eye contact, like grabbing her hand. Hey, like it's, it's regulating ourselves before we then approach the students. So that's really a good point. I'm glad. Yeah. You if I'm in a space with a student that's pretty dysregulated, my first move is, is often going to be like to sit down or to like, like squat yeah. just to kind of take that power, like danger dynamic out of play. Right. That's a little different. Maybe what we've been talking about, but I, I do, I think, I'm able to do that though, when I'm able to be aware of what's happening in me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of, I've seen you do this, Kaylin, where you've like removed the student. Like if a student is, if you're like, Hey, can you stand up? We're going to play a game. No. And they're like, uh, well, we're all standing up. Hey, you know, you try But if they're just like, no, and they're defiant, I've seen you kind of be like, Hey, why don't we all go play this game in the cafe or something like and then keeping that student one-on-one -on -one and then trying to talk to the student. So it's not like, okay, this is a big show in front of everybody, but like oftentimes that's helpful too, right? To just kind of let things go down. I'm like, I'm just gonna talk one-on-one -on -one or um, not make it. So I've seen you do that as well, like different things to help, but yeah. this is really good stuff. This is really good. Um, do you guys have anything or you want me to keep? Yeah, I mean, can we stay there for a second on just kind of like practical things to do? Because I think, Dan, the question you just asked is is a great one of like, you know, we, we do need to, I think, become more aware of our own trauma and, and kind of how that affects what we do. But once we do that, like, are there any other practical tips? I love the kind of, you know, getting on, you know, a student's level, like physically kind of changing your space to, you know, kind of help that situation. But are there other practical tips? I also love the, you know, go to counseling. I recently just started doing that myself and it's so helpful I mean it's not something that is a last ditch you know thing for when you feel like you're in trouble it's a preventative thing but I guess any other practical tips you have of like once we recognize that trauma how what do we do with it yeah so what do we do with it in ourselves yeah 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 I think it's it's a lifelong work Right. Um, and so awareness is going to be that first, that first step. And then finding ways to like productively care for yourself, um, which could be a continued counseling could be, um, in the spaces of, of community, um, where you are connected. And so like the, the three values that have kind of come out of my time with ISI students that I hold, 
very dear. Um, and this was more as we were starting the year, I think it was 2020 and, and COVID was wreaking havoc. These three things became very clear that we needed every night. And that's curiosity, connection, and play. Um, and so like with the girls, every eye is like, that was my, those were my three goals. If we could have curiosity for ourselves and others, if we could connect um, and if we could play, then we were, that was a huge win. Um, and I think that's true for our, like for myself, like I need safe spaces where I can be curious about what's happening in me. I can truly be honest with someone else that they can be a mirror. Like we never, we never in our lives will actually be able to see our faces. Mm. We, will, we can look in a mirror. We can look, we can look like through a, a video screen. Right. But it, it's all distorted. Huh. And so we need people around us. They're the only ones that actually can see our faces and reflect to us what is happening. Mm. Uh, and so we need that. We need spaces for that where we belong um, and can be honest. And then we need play. We need, we need to, like, that's, that's an important balance in this trauma work is if you're going to be doing, if you're going to be engaged with trauma, your own or others, then you're going to need to be able to play well also um, and find those spaces as well. So practically, that's what I would say. Like, what are the ways that you're able to um, continue to stay in the game and be connected? Um, and it takes a lot of intentional work to, to know what's happening, to mine your own body and story, to um, make sense of some of those things. That's so good. Yeah, love that. It's always so cool when a guest reminds us that we all need each other without even being. Yeah, we didn't pay her to say that. So. (laughs) But also, Ali's Ali's theme for this year was to stay curious, and that's just that's such a huge thing. I'm learning more and more like how important it is to just stay curious, like stay in that, keep asking the question why and what and and how we we are running uh, close to the time. I know. Can I just one more thing with that, Dan? Go ahead, go ahead. So curiosity and play are like immediate ways to get our body out of trauma mode. Mm-hmm. If we can, if we can get curious about something, our body can immediately come down. Okay. And so that's true for us and for the kids we're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is one of like my go-to, like it, curiosity, connection and play all help us to our bodies to rest and, and to get in a place of being fully present. Um, play completely disarms fear. It's hard. Like you're, you can't be in a state of play like fully and in fear mode. And so I like playing with the ISI kids is one of, like, I can feel it right now. It is one of my biggest joys and delights because I get so much from it. And it is like, I, I just have, videos running through my head of laughter and like connecting with them through play. Um, and so, yeah, I would say if you've got a kid in front of you, who's really dysregulated, my go-to is always going to be a playful interaction. How can I use play to disarm what's happening rather than my power? Um, and so that, that's another thing. Go ahead, Dan, what were you saying? I think it would be really good for us to end with, um, 
Aaron, I want you to ask your question to Kaylin because this, this wasn't in the script, but we'd love to ask everybody the same question. So go ahead. Hey, this wasn't in the script. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was gonna point that out, Allie, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> so actually I'm gonna cheat and make it two, two questions. I'll get to the one we always ask. Uh, but first, whenever I hear someone's from Chicago, I have to ask, Cubs, Sox are not a baseball fan. <laughs> Uh, I just went to a Cubs Sox game, actually. Which one? Because I just went to a Cubs Sox game. I wonder if we're at the same one. <laughs> it was a Wednesday night game. I don't know. That's that. Yep, we were in the same game. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not a huge like baseball fan, although I love going to baseball games in person. You'll yeah. never catch me watching a baseball game on TV. Um, but I grew up in an area where everybody loved the Cubs and they were terrible. So yeah. Thought it was silly. So when I went to this game. I was like, I'll, I'll root for the Sox because my friend's rooting for the Sox and just to kind of be there in that space. So, well, I'll say wrong answer. There's no wrong answers here, but that one felt like a wrong answer to me. <laughs> okay, now now I'll get to the main question that we do try to ask this for, for everyone. I, and I just think it brings out really good discussion. What what And you can go anywhere with this, but what's something that's just fascinating you right now? Hmm. The deep one. That is a deep one. Especially when we didn't give it to you ahead of time. <laughs> I know. Gosh. Well, trauma is always fascinating yeah. to me. And so like that is, I think I've spent a lot of time talking about this today, but I would say like just learning about our stories and engaging in that space with people has been fascinating and exciting. I've, I've learned how to do that in a new way through the work I'm doing here in Chicago. And that has been fascinating, but another thing, like on a less, I've, I've already talked a lot about trauma. So that feels like a cop out. Um, spring fascinates me. Mm. Um, and so like I have a tree across the street that every day I walk by and I smell it and I like look at the buds and see the changes and like what's happening. I love, and I feel like it's only been in the last few years that I've actually noticed buds on trees. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I don't know why, probably because I was disconnected from my body in the world. Right. But I like that has been fascinating the process, the progression of spring and like seeing buds develop into flowers or leaves or whatever. So there it is. Same. That's awesome. I love that. I feel like I've heard that more and more. It's like the all every adult's new favorite season because winter is just so hard. And then you, you start to see the new life around you. It's like hopeful. Yeah. Like for sure. This is awesome. We're coming to life again. Yeah, so. for sure. That's great. Well, thank you. This was so helpful, Kaylin. And I know that it's going to help other people as we're engaging and we're staying. I love the three points you gave. Like yeah. we can stay curious. We don't have to be, you know, quick to judge a behavior. We can be curious, like what's happening behind, yeah. behind the surface, under the surface, and then connecting with that person, playing, delighting, all of those things are super helpful. So. And those are true in all of our relationships, right? Like, we, we can talk about ourselves, we can talk about relationship with ISI kids, but I just want to like name that is actually, I think, a really important space as we engage in a culture that's so divisive, right? And so polarized of, if you can be curious and say, well, I wonder, like, 
what in their story has led them to need to survive in this way. Mm-hmm. Like that opens up a door for connection, like, like no other. And so whether that's ISI students or ISI parents or our siblings, our parents, like our kids, our spouses, whatever it might be, the person who drove by me yesterday and flipped me off while I was walking my dog. I'm like, my first reaction is what the heck is going on? And it's actually like, then I was like, I wonder, it kind of became funny. It was like, why, why would that need to happen? What's happening for them? And so in general, like this can be applied to all of our relationships and I think can lead to life and flourishing and true connection in, in unique ways. Yeah. And to like pull that whole thing, that well-being that you said at the beginning to kind of full circle, like, okay, life does make sense. Like I, and I was even going to ask you like the Christian worldview, it's like, we can come back and say, okay, life can make sense. Justice is available. I am a valuable, I am a person of value and worth. Like we can kind of full circle, come back to those things and be whole. So, yeah. And it, but that happens through hard work and not through platitudes of the faith. Right. So that like that happens in the community that we've been given, like the honest gritty work of healing. Which is hard and is long and it isn't overnight. It's like the constant being disrupted right keep going well thank you so much we really appreciate being on here and we're super excited to share this with others so thank you thanks for letting me be here yeah